Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today, I am talking about why meditating and staying busy isn't the solution to healing from toxic people. Now, this episode was inspired by a recent conversation I had with a survivor who reported to me that the, the main recommendation she had gotten from her therapist um, during this transition time where she was you know, leaving a toxic relationship and it was her first time kind of being on her own in a while. Her therapist said like, well, what you need to do is just meditate and stay busy. And, you know, um, no shade to that therapist. I think for many folks, that's not a terrible game plan when there's a lot of change in one's life. But, you know, I'm not sure that's the right recipe for us survivors. You know, it's common advice, especially these days, right? Like the idea that like, okay, just meditate, just meditate and everything will be better. You know, I, I studied Buddhist philosophy, right? That's one of the main areas my PhD is in. And, um, Buddhist meditation is often the model people, people rely on when they're kind of doing different meditation activities. And, um, meditation is not the answer to all things, <laughs> You know, I think even most Buddhists would agree that um, it's it's not the answer to everything ever. Meditation is a very powerful tool. It can bring a lot of good into one's life. Um, but, you know, it's not a Band-Aid. It can't just, you know, you can't just slap it on and be like, all right, I did a 10-minute meditation. I'm good to go for the rest of all time. It's a complicated process. Meditation is a complex thing. So, uh, you know, it's a popular solution. You know, you'll get recommendations for apps um, all the time in the narcissistic abuse recovery space for different meditation tools and stuff. And, you know, I think it's an appropriate part of the journey, but it's not the answer to everything. And this, you know, staying busy is something we, we hear a lot about. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of information out there that's like, well, when things get tough, what you need to do is keep yourself occupied. And, you know, I think we've talked about that a little bit here on the podcast before. Certainly talked about it over on my Instagram, um, where, you know, staying busy is not like trash advice. It certainly has something of value to it. But again, as a survivor, it's a little bit risky to lean into that sort of generic advice. All right. So there's a big theme here for survivors that. There's a lot of advice out there in the world. Some of it focused on your mental health. Some of it focused on just the way different people should relate to each other. There's generic advice out there that doesn't work well in our context, right? This is, a, this is another way of saying that a lot of the information out there is not coming from a trauma-informed place, right? This is advice that might work if, you're, if the problems one is facing are relatively small, relatively ordinary problems, and they get progressively less effective the more your set of problems deviates from that simpler case. So, you know, today I'm not, I'm not going to, to destroy the value of meditation or staying busy or anything like that, but I'm going to talk about why some of this these ideas are particularly problematic for survivors and a little bit about like, what should we be doing instead? <laughs> right. So, you know, it's, I'm not going to say it's like a red flag. If somebody recommends that you meditate and stay busy, it's, it's not that 
direct, but it is a little bit um, worrisome, right? Because if you're dealing with a toxic person actively, or you're working on that boundaries phase on establishing and maintaining your boundaries, or even really, if you're working on the making peace with all of this stuff stages, like, the situation is complex. And in general, these kind of simple answers to what to do in these very complex circumstances, they fall short, right? There is, there is no magic thing you can do to make yourself feel immediately better when you're dealing with these level of issues. Okay. There's, I I wish it wasn't true. You know, sometimes I get on the call, get on calls with survivors and I'm like, I wish I could tell you like a magic spell You could just repeat these words and you would get some relief from all the pain you're suffering. And there is no such thing. If somebody is telling you that meditation is going to solve all your problems, that's a little bit like saying, okay, here's a magic spell. Here's this one thing you can do and it's going to fix everything. Uh, you, You should naturally be suspicious of those sorts of claims. Um, There's nothing wrong with you if you have tried meditating, you've tried really staying busy in the past, and it hasn't worked the way most people say it should. Um, There's nothing wrong with you. Okay, so that's like a really important note here. If you aren't following or like the traditional advice is not working for you, that isn't a problem. Okay, that that's a comment on how underpowered some of these tools are when people are navigating the kind of situation us survivors are trying to. So in general, the things that we need as survivors, they they have to be richer than just some simple mindfulness meditation. They have to be richer than just like, well, pick a hobby and focus hard on it, right? Those things are a little too superficial for the, for the level of challenge that we're facing, right? It's like trying to take, um, you know, algebra, like only knowing algebra when what the the tool you really need to solve the problem is calculus, right? Like they're related. It's like algebra has some things to say about calculus, but calculus is a lot more powerful a tool than just algebra, right? So on my view, just just telling a survivor, okay, try meditating or, or stay busy. Don't think too much about it. Um, you know, that's, that's the algebra when what we really need is calculus, right? Um, so let's, let's dive into it a bit more. So we know it's common advice to hear meditate or stay busy. You've probably heard it before. Um, if you are on the online space for narcissistic abuse recovery, I've seen both of these things get thrown around as, um, at solutions, or at least the beginning of solutions to, you know, part of our healing process as we, as we move through these spaces with toxic people. But, you know, there's a, there's a lot of different reasons this kind of generic advice fails for us. Now, of course, whether it works for you or it doesn't work for you is going to depend a lot on your specific circumstance. So I'm going to speak a little bit in generalities here. So, you know, if you if it's not capturing your situation, that's totally fine. Maybe for you, meditating has really, really made the difference or staying busy is really like a tool that's been super helpful to you. You know, that's totally fine. If it's working for you, you do you. I'm not throwing any shade on you at all. Um, but for a lot of us, they're, they're not super functional. And here's a couple reasons why, you know, you might be struggling to solve or make progress on your healing journey by staying busy. 
I know in my experience, um, especially when I was dealing with my toxic ex, um, I, I wanted to stay busy all the time. I, I really thought that that was the answer. And, you know, in that process, I was actually using this idea of staying busy as a tool to cope while I was actively being abused, right? I was trying to tell myself, oh, it's not that bad because I still, you know, have lunch with my friends sometimes. Or, oh, it's not that bad. I can still go to work. Or, oh, it's not that bad because uh, we're going out to dinner, right? Like I would use these, these items of busyness to like justify the, the abuse or to diminish the badness of the abuse that I was experiencing. So in this situation, because I would stay busy as a way to cope within a toxic environment, when I'm trying to heal, when I'm trying to move through this and, and let my heart heal and let my mind heal and let my body heal, leaning back on this tool of just staying busy is a problem, right? <laughs> like this can be triggering for me. It can put me back in that mindset that I was in, in that relationship. And, you know, doing more of that same sort of thing is likely to further communicate with our, with our systems, with our body, with our mind that we are in danger, right? Like, I, you know, me, like many survivors, I, I have PTSD, I have complex PTSD. And, you know, there are things where like, if I'm just living my ordinary life and I do something that has the tint, you know, it just echoes a little bit of the things I used to do when I was in toxic spaces, my body, you know, my heart rate will elevate. I'll, I might start to sweat. I'll start to get really nervous like my body will, will go into that fight or flight mode, or sometimes for me, freeze. That's a big, that's a popular one for me, freezing, right? My body will go into that because it picked up on a subtle similarity between what I was currently experiencing and what I experienced in the past. So there are at least some ways when we're trying to stay busy, if we use that as a coping mechanism while we were navigating a toxic person, if we're trying to do that again, as on our healing journey, we might be undermining our own project. We might be triggering ourselves. We might be echoing back or pulling on things that were not something that really served us well in the past. So staying busy is a complicated one, right? Now, maybe you can find new, totally brand new ways to stay busy, right? Maybe there are some things that like a hobby that you picked up, you never had this hobby before, you know, and it really does help you to stay occupied. You know what? That's, that's great. I think that that's one of the better ways to execute this staying busy advice um, in order to try to, I mean, people usually say you're staying busy in order to avoid overthinking or like ruminating on thoughts of what happened and stuff. Um, you know, if a hobby is serving you, especially if it's one that's brand new and it doesn't have any of the baggage, um, from back when you were with a toxic person, that might be really helpful. Um, but you know, it, it's got some problems. So I'm going to talk about what some of the challenges are with the, the advice that like meditation is what should help you on your journey. And then I'm going to talk about a couple of things we should be doing instead of leaning on this staying busy and meditation is like the end all be all of, of our tools for healing. So before I jump into that, we're going to go ahead and hear uh, a moment from our sponsor. 
Okay, so let's talk about meditation. Now, meditation is actually like a lot more of a complicated thing. Um, if you look at like how Buddhist meditation works, um, then like typically what we talk about in the in the West, uh, usually when we discuss meditation in the West, we're really just talking about mindfulness meditation. So this is the kind of meditation where you focus on your breath. You're trying to increase your awareness of your body. You're trying to uh, kind of stay in the present and not let your mind wander too much. Um, this is a, a great form of meditation. Lots of good things going on with it. Um, but in the Buddhist tradition, like meditation is much more complex than that. That's really just kind of like the beginning stages where you're trying to prepare your mind to be able to focus and concentrate a lot. Um, and then there's lots of things you do once you have a robust ability to concentrate. Um, I won't go into all that. I'm not sure how relevant it is, but it is important to note that when we're talking about like you should meditate, um, we're really talking about this kind of concentration focus sort of meditation. And it's not the only kind of meditation that's out there. Okay. So what, what is this meditation, this style, this mindfulness meditation really good for? Well, it can help quiet, you know, um, the, the mind, right? If, if you've listened to, to, especially Tibetan Buddhists, that's my specific background. I, I know the, my, like my main area is Tibetan Buddhism, although I study Buddhism in kind of a pan Asian way. Um, but you know, one of the things they'll tell you is that we've all got this thing called a monkey mind. <laughs> And the monkey mind is constantly chatter, 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 right? Like it's talking all the time. It's it's making all these noises. It's really like busy and active. And that drains us that in the background, our mind is always doing this. So this kind of mindfulness meditation is supposed to help us quiet the monkey mind. It's supposed to help us calm down all of those background thoughts that are running rampant and wild. And I mean, if you're, if you've survived toxic people, you've probably got some big background uh, thoughts happening, bouncing around the, the corners of your brain. Um, certainly that, that comes along with the territory for PTSD, um, right? Like I, my, in the background of my brain, I'll be thinking about like, oh, well, this person said this, and then I said that, and then I said this, and like, I'll be going through that again and again and again. And, uh, you know, in, in the Buddhist picture, we might describe that as part of like the monkey mind going, going at it. But, you know, meditation, this kind of mindfulness meditation, one, we don't achieve great success at this sort of meditation quickly, necessarily. It is hard to quiet that part of the mind. It's hard to get those thoughts down. And really this tool is more tailored towards people who are facing kind of ordinary circumstances, right? Meditation in this context was not developed as a way to help people with PTSD. It wasn't developed in that. It, it was developed as a way to help us learn to concentrate and be more present so that we could do other things generally geared towards reaching enlightenment. At least on the Buddhist picture, that's kind of what the thing is about. So meditation is great, but it's hard to do. It's hard to achieve. And it's hard even for people who are living um, a little bit more ordinary circumstances, right? People whose biggest problems are just, you know, paying the bills and making sure their kids get to school. It's a little different for those of us facing the extraordinary circumstances of navigating a toxic person. 
right? That, that chatter in the back of our minds is in part fueled by the fact that we don't always feel safe. It's a safety thing for us. And, you know, the, the body, the mind is going to work much harder to, to protect those chatterings, those things, if the body perceives it's necessary in order to stay safe. So is meditation helpful? Yes. Could it directly address some of the challenges? Maybe if you have PTSD or if you're just in the thick of navigating toxic people? Yes, it, it can. But in general, it is very difficult to successfully engage in the kind of meditation and the benefits that we would be hoping for. In order, I think, for meditation to really have a lot of payoff at, for survivors, you need to be doing it a lot. It needs to be a really consistent practice. You really have to convince your body and your mind that it is safe to turn down the, the monkey mind, right? You have to convince your body. It's not an intellectual decision. You have to get your body to understand that this is safe. And that's going to be really hard. I might be skeptical that it's even possible if you are actively in a toxic environment. So meditating, I think we often try to think of it as kind of a band-aid because there is some immediate benefits, right? Even if you're not the best at meditating, um, if you sit down, you're feeling really anxious and you, you know, you pull up on YouTube a meditation exercise, it can give you a little bit of immediate relief. And that is worth something. Like we should not throw that out at all. But usually when we're dealing with healing from toxic people and these sorts of things, we're not looking for just an immediate relief, right? We're looking for something more substantial. We, we have really meaty problems on our plate and we, we need some robust tools to help us. So meditation, I think, can become one of those robust tools, but the idea that it's going to solve the issues right away is kind of naive, in my opinion. Meditating is a skill. Um, it's a long-term skill. It's one you have to develop by practicing and practicing and practicing. So, you know, if you try to just get some of the benefits from meditating by just doing it once in a while, I don't, I don't think it's going to bring you a lot of long-term success. So that's why I think meditation is not the best advice. It's kind of like saying like, well, you know, you're suffering a lot right now. So redirect all your energy to developing this very difficult long-term skill that you need to achieve. And like, I'm not sure that that's the right thing to be adding to the plate, right? As a survivor, <laughs> like we were trying to like, just remind ourselves that we are safe, that things are okay. Um, you know, that it is permissible for us to live the, our lives the way that we want. I just am skeptical that meditation can uh, help us achieve those things when it's actually a difficult thing to pull off in and of itself. Maybe you disagree. Maybe you have a, uh, you know, a meditation practice that has you have not engaged in in a really robust way and it has been really helpful. You know, I don't want to discount that as a possibility, I just think it's hard. It's it's a hard thing to do. It's hard for a lot of us. So, and I think as a survivor, it's particularly hard to to get this done to really incorporate meditation. Um, so, yeah, I'm pretty skeptical. I'm skeptical of the meditation as the solution, and I'm skeptical of the staying busy solution. So, what should we be doing as survivors? Right. I've spent a lot of time in this talking about why this kind of general advice I don't really think works. 
well, what should we do? You know, what, what's waiting for us that could really help? Well, I think the first thing that we want to do is learn to leverage our current skill set to engage in restorative activities, right? So I think that for most of us, meditating and having a meditation practice is not currently in our skill set. Maybe you're different. If you are, that's great. I'm really happy for you. But if it's not currently part of your everyday practice, you might think instead of what is part of my everyday practice, what are things I'm already good at? How can I lean into those in order to really create restorative spaces for myself in order to create, you know, activities that I can do that's really going to help me feel full and satisfied and safe as a human being. Often when I like ask survivors this, at first they'll be like, I have no idea. And then, you know, I'll talk to them for five more minutes and they actually have like 10 ideas right off the bat. You know, when we're, when we're posed with a question like, okay, so what's your current skill set? What are you good at? Um, often people kind of feel like, ah, I don't know, I'm not really good at anything. But when we push that a little bit more, when we ask like, okay, well, what do you, you know, what do you enjoy doing? What's something that brings you a lot of joy or what's something that, you know, you really, uh, you know, you feel like you could teach to somebody else. When we start looking at it from that different perspective, people realize like, oh, okay, there's actually like a bunch of things that I'm good at or I like doing or, you know, I, is currently in my skill set. And honestly, it can, it could be anything. It could be watching YouTube videos. It could be social media. It could be, um, painting. It could be, uh, cooking or baking could be cleaning the car. Like literally anything goes here. You just want to think about what is your current skill set, And then you want to think about how can I use that in order to engage in some restorative activity, right? Be creative here. Let yourself dream big. You, you know how many resources you have, right? So like if you aren't a millionaire, don't dream up a plan that costs $500,000, Right. But think about what do you currently have? What are your resources and what can you do to help yourself feel restored? That is probably the most important thing as you're healing from toxic people and learning to replenish yourself because toxic people take and take and take and take from us. So we have to swing hard the other way on the healing journey and learn how to give to ourselves and give some more and give some more so that we kind of balance out in the end. So the first thing I think we should do is leverage that current skill set to engage in restorative activities. And then the next thing, and I think this one is often overlooked, but very important is finding safe ways to give our emotions some space to breathe. Okay. So this is really kind of the contrast class with, with staying busy right? Staying busy, you're active, 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 and you're kind of trying to not be quiet. You're trying to kind of just distract yourself so that you don't notice how you're feeling. You don't think about how you're feeling. Um, but I think in general, that's, there's a place for that. We all need some of that in our lives, but it's also really important that we find some ways to let our emotions breathe a little bit. So what does that mean? That might mean taking 10 minutes to journal at the beginning of your day. It might mean, you know, picking an activity that you have to do. Like, let's say you need to mop the floor of your house. 
right? So pick that activity and say, okay, while I'm mopping the floor, I'm going to let myself feel sad, right? It's actively intentionally choosing times and activities where you allow yourself to feel whatever it is that you are feeling, right? You need to find little ways to do that. If we allow ourselves to feel all of the big feelings at once, we could get overwhelmed. That might be bad. But the vast majority of us can let ourselves feel a bit and then try to get back to our more ordinary everyday life, right? So we want to find those safe ways to give our emotions that space to breathe. And we want to try to find, you know, we want to try to balance that out with, with the staying busy with the ordinary life stuff, right? I think that this is really important to kind of get this balance so that we don't like get too overwhelmed by the emotions. We don't want to just dig into the darkness too much. Um, but we also want to make sure that we really are letting ourselves feel the feelings. Because if we're not, if we don't do that, uh, they're gonna, they're, they will overwhelm us at some point. That is a totally natural human response. If we just stayed busy all the time and we never felt our feelings, um, we're, we're gonna get overwhelmed at some point. We might pick up some habits that don't serve us. We're, we're in for a bit of trouble. Now, if you feel like it would be terrifying, absolutely outrageously terrifying to let yourself feel some of your feelings, um, that might be a really good time to turn to a mental health professional. One thing that mental health professionals are trained in is to help people move through their feelings in particular. So if you feel like you can't give yourself five minutes to let yourself feel sad because it just feels too dangerous, it feels too scary, um, that's totally okay. That's often part of the journey for survivors. Um, so what I'd encourage you to do is to spend that time with a mental health professional who can really be there and support you if the things do start to get scary. Okay, so what should we do instead of just meditating and staying busy? Well, we want to try to leverage our current skill set to engage in restorative activities. And we want to find safe ways to give our emotions some space to breathe. Now, you know, it, it's hard to figure this stuff out. It's hard to figure out what we should be doing. It's hard to figure out what's going to serve us the best as survivors of toxic people. There's a lot of generic advice out there. We've just gone through a, a couple little pieces of that. Um, and some of them have some traps that are laid for us as survivors. It's not like anyone's doing it intentionally, but it turns out, you know, if you've got a big background in trauma, a lot of the generic stuff just doesn't really work out. So, you know, if you're looking for support as you navigate this journey, um, I work one-on-one -on -one with folks. The way I usually do this is at six sessions over three months. So we, I just meet every two weeks with people. There's usually a little bit of homework. And, you know, I really help them figure out what's going to serve them the best given their goals on this healing journey and really help give some of that accountability and some of that companionship. You know, it's, it's lonely sometimes when the generic advice of society just completely isn't working for you. It can feel really isolating. It can feel really frustrating. And one of the things I do for my clients is I show them that like, hey, lots of people have your experience. Um, there are ways to get through this and we're gonna make sure that you stay safe and are okay 
as you walk this path through your healing journey. So if that sounds interesting to you, you know, you're welcome to shoot me an email. It's just Dr. Louise at empowermentthroughthought.com. You know, I'd love to connect with you. I do complimentary sessions. It's totally no commitment. Um, you know, it's just to give you a little bit of support, give you a little bit of a taste of what it's like to work with me. Um, and you know, we can, we can explore together if it's something that you think is going to serve you on your journey. So thanks so much for listening today and I'll catch you guys in the next one. Bye-bye.